Good morning, afternoon, or evening, wherever or whenever you are, ladies and gentlemen. This is Sports Crutch with D. Crom. I am your host, David Cromelo. And well, after a long hiatus in which we learned all the painful lessons of why there are many, many more important things in life than football, we are back in business as the 2020 NFL season is down to its final four teams. And fittingly, the quarterback matchups in these games couldn't be better. One is between old Lions, Tom Brady and Aaron Rodgers, and the other between young Tigers and Josh Allen and Patrick Mahomes. And joining me to preview these intriguing matchups and all the latest news and notes from around the National Football League is my main man, Matt Barr of the Pro Football Network. Matt, what's good, my man? Not much, boy. There's a lot going on, but uh, I'm happy to be back. I'm happy to kind of get back in the groove. Uh, you know, I took a little bit of a break after the 49ers season ended, and me and Hobby kind of stepped back a little bit and... And, uh, yeah, you know, just happy to get back in the groove of uh, doing podcasts and talking some football. Uh, I am, too. But this uh, past year was a year like none other. With the raging pandemic, a consequential election, a race reckoning, and the painful lesson of the fragility of the Democratic Republic we have enjoyed in these United States for 240-plus years, uh, uh, it's uh, it's was very hard to talk about football this year with all of that going on, and uh, you and Javi uh, admitted to that on one of your podcasts uh, after the George Floyd uh, murder. Yeah, yeah, we had a long talk where we didn't talk uh, about football at all, and we we really just took a time to evaluate what was going on and and how we saw things, and and Javi as a minority in the in the United States, and myself as a white man, and just really took a chance to to get our feelings out there and let people know that there are more things, there are things more important than football. And, uh, but man, football is a good distraction. Sometimes it's nice to talk about. Yes. And we can use it as a, as a distraction right now, but, uh, we have to remain vigilant on all those things we just talked about. Absolutely. 100% have to. Yes. And, uh, I won't hesitate to talk about them, uh, when uh, more events come down the pike, but, uh, for now we're back to football and, uh, these past several weeks of the NFL have affected teams that did not make the playoffs just as much as teams that did as the head coach and general manager carousels continue to spin rather wildly. Even after COVID-19, there were still a lot of job openings on the head coaching and GM fronts, and I want us to analyze these hirings, starting with the head coach hirings. The Jacksonville Jaguars, uh, Urban Meyer was rumored to be wanting to take an NFL job for several years. He finally has. He's taken one as head coach of the Jacksonville Jaguars, who have the first overall pick of the 2021 NFL draft and are um, 99.9% likely, uh, heck, they're 100% likely, in my opinion, to take Trevor Lawrence. So uh, the Jaguars have some intriguing potential on a, on a young roster with lots of assets. But given Urban Meyer, uh, I... I respect the hell out of the guy. He's uh, uh, given his record in college, but the NFL is an entirely different animal, and that's why, given the upside and downside of this hiring, I would personally give it a C. What about you, Matt? I'm floating right around there, too. I'm going to go a little bit higher with a B-. Urban Meyer does have a good track record of developing quarterbacks. He's always done that throughout his career. My biggest question is, how is Urban Meyer going to deal with a salary cap? Because he hasn't had to deal with a salary cap this low since he was at the University of Utah. So really, how is he going to navigate that? Because he can't just go out and get any of the players that he wants at all times like he has been able to before. the, the pairing between him and, and Trent Baalke, who we'll get to a little bit later, I obviously have very intimate knowledge of Trent Baalke in, in his time in San Francisco. But the hiring itself, 
it, it feels safe. It feels like the owners and the owner in Jacksonville wants to kind of be able to establish himself as, as the main guy down there. And I hope it works out uh, just because I do like Jacksonville. I, I, I like the Jaguars. I like a lot of the players I have down there. And I think that the fans of the Jaguars deserve a good team. I just don't know if Urban Meyer is the guy to do it. That jump from college to the NFL is, is wild. We've seen guys like Nick Saban be incredibly successful at LSU make one year jump up to Miami, just completely flame out before he goes back to Alabama and he's an all-time, you know, maybe the all-time greatest college coach of all time. I, does, does Urban Meyer come in and succeed right away? I don't know, but taking Trevor Lawrence is going to be a good step in the right in the right direction. Uh, yes, and if there's anything Urban Meyer has proven uh, that he could do at the NFL level is build a culture. And as uh, former NFL GM Michael Lombardi says, uh, culture is everything. And uh, Urban has a proven track record of being a culture builder, and that's why I praise the Panthers hire of Matt Rule. And uh, mm-hmm. even though I uh, I have some doubts about Urban, Urban Meyer, um, his ability to build a culture uh, cannot be questioned. And I think uh, if he could uh, set a basic toe to Jacksonville, that could go very far. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. It's really going to be about his ability to communicate with older players. Because a lot of the college coaches you know you deal with 18 to 22-year-olds for 99% of your roster. How do you come in and deal with the 32, 34-year-olds that have families and have, have much bigger responsibilities necessarily than football on their plate? So it, it, can he can he do it? I believe he can. Will he? I don't know. They're really going to have to do a very good job in the draft because while Jacksonville does have some good pieces down there, they do have a lot of holes on that roster and they have a lot of answers to or a lot of you know a lot of questions to answer. Yeah, and I can only expect that Urban Meyer is going to uh, prioritize uh, how serious uh, guys are about football when when drafting them. Like they want like got culture guys uh, more than anything, I would guess, outside of Trevor Lawrence. Yeah, absolutely. Trevor Lawrence is is, is going to be the number one pick. Uh, you can't even get that jersey personalized on the Jacksonville Jaguars website right now, which to me is a dead giveaway. that They pretty much already told the league that's who we are taking. So after that, you're really going to have to start to get some good building blocks around him. And like you said, culture, guys, is going to be huge for them. And now moving to a team and a guy who you know a lot about, the New York Jets hiring now former 49ers defensive coordinator Robert Sala as their new head coach. And uh, Robert Sala, uh, before we talk about his uh, amazing record in coaching, let's just uh, acknowledge the fact that he is the first Muslim in NFL history to be a head coach. And that is uh, glass ceiling shattered. And it, it would be inappropriate for us not to acknowledge that, in my opinion. Uh, and uh, it's a side of uh, the NFL uh, getting more diverse in its head coaching ranks. Uh, some people say, well, he, he's not African-American or Latino. No, he is a Muslim. That counts just as much in my eyes, especially uh, the uh, now former president, what he said about people of that faith. Uh, it's, a, it's a great sign from the NFL, in my opinion. But Robert Sala, what he did with the 49ers this year was even more amazing than what he did last year, losing Nick Bosa for the season and uh, he's still able to get a top-five performance out of that defense despite losing Nick Bosa to injury and trading DeForest Buckner. It speaks to the kind of guy he is. This is an A-plus hiring. I would give it an A-plus-plus-plus if I could, dare I say, if this were the Simpsons, but uh, A-plus for the Jets and Robert Sala. Absolutely, 100 out of 100 on this one. I think the Jets completely knocked it out of the park. They let him get out of the building, which I thought was a little surprising. And 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 the little birdie told me that they only offered him four years to start. And he, he really talked to Kyle Shanahan, Robert Sala did, talked to Kyle Shanahan about 
what do you look for in a head co- head coaching opportunity? Because defensive guys should know. You get kind of one shot as a defensive guy to really make it work. Otherwise, you're just kind of relegated back to defensive coordinator. Offensive guys get chance after chance after chance generally, unless they completely flame out. I mean, look at Adam Gase. Adam Gase has had now two head coaching opportunities because he's an offensive guy and people think, oh, we can just pair him with a young quarterback and it'll work. Defensive guys don't necessarily get that same opportunity. So he really wanted, uh, Robert Sala wanted to make sure that he understood exactly what he was looking for. He wanted at least five years in a deal, which he got from New York. Um, I think they have a lot of good pieces in New York. I like, I love Makai Becton at left tackle. Uh, Quinn Williams on the defensive, on the defensive line. Uh, Denzel Mims is really good. I think, um, I think they can work with Sam Darnold. I do. I think bringing over LaFleur with him is very, very smart. Uh, Salah is also going to drag a whole bunch of free agents with him. K1 Williams, the nickel cornerback, is probably coming. Richard Sherman might be going. Kerry uh, Hyder, who led the 49ers in sacks this year. He's just such a huge presence, and, and, and players love to play for him. Video clip that was circulating around Twitter where it was the music video of Adam Gase and Robert Sala. And for Adam Gase standing on the sideline, they had just crickets chirping. And then as soon as they panned to Robert Sala, it was Master of Puppets from Metallica, just wailing. And it's it's exactly what it is. He brings a certain level of energy to that franchise that has been completely devoid of energy since since Rex Ryan was at his peak, since Bart, Bart Scott told Sal Palantonio he can't wait. <laughs> it's just energy they haven't had in northern Jersey for the Jets in a very long time. 100 out of 100, A++, whatever you want to do. I love this hiring. I think he's going to succeed in New York. And I really think that you said it, him being the first Muslim American to do it, the first Arab American, he's, he's, he's reached the pinnacle of his profession. And that is such a huge thing for representation across the league because now there's kids growing up that, that are going to see that and go, well, if Robert Sala can do it, so can I. I think it's incredible. So all, all, all the way around, A++ for the Jets on that one. Yes, and another reason why I think he will succeed is that Joe Douglas, the general manager for the Jets, is from the Baltimore Ravens tree. And uh, given the time Joe Douglas spent in Baltimore, uh, he uh, established a hardworking meat and potatoes uh, culture that's based on leadership with tons of energy. Uh, he wants to create the same kind of atmosphere with the Jets, and what better person to do it than Robert Sala? 100%. And if there's a tag team wrestling competition between head coaches and GMs, I'm taking the Jets all the way. They have to be the favorites. Joe Douglas is a monstrous human being. Robert Sala looks like he could still play line, he could play linebacker in the NFL. Um, I, I just think it's a young core of coaches and, and front office personnel that are really going to change the culture. We're, we're going to talk about culture a lot today. They're going to change the culture in a very big way for New York. No longer is this team tanking. For Trevor, no longer is his team just not trying to win. I think they're moving completely in the right direction with this hire. Completely agree, and we're going to talk even more about the Jets later on. But now to the Atlanta Falcons, who are at a crossroads as a franchise. They might be due for some total reconstructive surgery with that roster, given the fact that most of their stars are old and aging, uh, specifically Matt Ryan and Julio Jones. But they hired Titans offensive coordinator Arthur Smith as uh, their new head coach. And given what he did in Tennessee, I would give this a solid B to B+. Plus. Uh, what do you think? Yeah, I'm, again, I'm in agreement with you that one. I'll, I like it as a B, Arthur Smith. Uh, I think he can bring in and get them the, – he can squeeze the last little bit of juice out of those older veterans, and I think they can get them in, in a winning formula. 
not necessarily like winning, winning. I'm not talking like they're gonna they're gonna be a Super Bowl contender, but I think they can be competitive next year. You know, we we Dan Quinn should have been fired last year. Dan Quinn probably should have been fired the year before that, and Arthur Blank just held on to him for for way too long. And I think we saw as soon as Shanahan left that that whole thing kind of imploded in, in Atlanta. Uh, I think getting an offensive-minded head coach was the right way to go for Atlanta this time around. I, I, do they make a move for a quarterback in the first round this year? I don't know. I don't know because Matt Ryan, his contract is not tradable. It's not tradable, and you don't want to burn a year or two of a rookie quarterback's contract sitting behind Matt Ryan. So I think they kind of, I think they're kind of in a holding pattern this year. I think they're going to take 2021 to really evaluate what they have on the roster and see what kind of changes they need to make, and and hopefully they give. Arthur Smith the time to rebuild because that's eventually that's what they're going to need to do. They're going to have to move off. Like you said, Matt Ryan, Julio Jones, they're Grady Jarrett's getting up there in age. There's guys that are going to have to move off of at some point. And I just hope they give Arthur Smith the time to do it. But I love the work he did with Ryan Tannehill in Tennessee. I love that work. And I, I'm, I'm really excited to see what, what he can do as a head coach. Yeah, same here, but uh, a big initial concern of mine about Arthur Smith was what are the Falcons going to do with that terrible, terrible defense? And the fact that he was able to learn DPs out of retirement shows that he might be onto something uh, with the Falcons and they could draft some uh, uh, young uh, defensive stalwarts uh, in, in this draft or shop the free agents market or whatever to uh, really improve that defense. So it seems like he has a full-scale plan for that roster, and that's why I'm even more higher on this hiring than I initially uh, was uh, no offense, Arthur Smith, but I just wanted to see what his plan was for the whole roster and not just the offense. And I think the Falcons did get a good one in Arthur Smith. Now the Los Angeles Chargers. This was very, very, very uh, surprising to me personally because almost everybody thought that they were going to hire Brian Dable, the uh, Bills offensive coordinator who has turned Josh Allen into a star. And I said, oh, if Brian Dable could do that to Josh Allen, just imagine what he could do to Justin Herbert. But the Chargers opted to go in a different direction and hire. Former Rams defensive coordinator Brandon Staley. And uh, Brandon Staley, don't get me wrong, I love Brandon Staley a lot. He is a Vic Fangio disciple, and Vic Fangio knows, constantly knows how to make chicken salad out of uh, garbage, so to speak. And Brandon mm -hmm. Staley uh, uh, worked wonders with the Rams defense this year. A, a very inspiring single-season performance by that defense. And uh, he... Uh, earned the right to be a head coach based on the job he did this year and uh, as a lieutenant to Vic Fangio in both Denver and Chicago by getting a lot out of uh, questionable talent um, with him in those stops. So uh, I actually give this one a B plus. Uh, if uh, Brian Dable were not available, I would give it an A, but because he was available, I give it a B plus just because I think there was a better option, but I still think it was a very good hire. I give it a C plus, and it's for that exact same reason. For whatever reason, teams don't want to be patient when it comes to hiring head coaches. They want head coaches now. They wait. I don't see the I don't see the difference in waiting three weeks and giving Dable a chance to come in and interview and giving him a real run because, like you said, we've seen what he did in Buffalo or is doing in Buffalo with Josh Allen. Justin Herbert is an electric young quarterback. I think he needed someone. To really further that development, um, I'm sure that that Staley's going to bring in someone from the Shanahan system because he was just coaching with McVay. So I think they're going to get someone there. Uh, Brandon Staley's an excellent defensive coordinator. Excellent, excellent, excellent defensive coordinator. He had Russell Wilson in fits in the playoffs. 
Russell Wilson spent most of the season tearing up the entire league, and then it comes to the playoffs. Uh, Brandon Staley gets his defense to go on the road in Seattle. Granted, there was no fans, but still not playing in your home field and just completely shut that Seahawks defense down. Or Seahawks offense, excuse me, Seahawks offense down. And that that was very impressive. I just, I, I give it, you know, CC plus just because they ha- they should have been patient. And this just screams the Spani, the Spanoses, whatever you want to call them, can't be patient. They can't they can't keep their hands out of the cookie jar. And they just wanted to get somebody now. They should have been patient. And they really should have brought in Brian Dable because Brian Dable I, is probably going to be passed up this cycle. And it's going to make no sense to me that he is not a head coach in the NFL somewhere. And, and they're just giving Buffalo another year to re-up and, and and run it back in the in the AFC East. So that's the only reason I'm giving it a, a, a CEC plus, whatever you want to call it. Love Staley. I just think the Chargers should have been more patient in this process. Yeah, especially when you have a franchise quarterback on your roster staring you in the face. Uh, you had to maximize it with a, a, a guy like Dable, who has experience under Bill Belichick and Nick Saban, for crying out loud. This hiring Dable for the Chargers was a no-brainer, but my concern uh, has been justified by this, uh, given the, the span eye, as you call them, the presence of them. Uh, that is why I kind of have my doubts about Justin Herbert winning a Super Bowl, personally, not uh, because of his talent. He's got all the talent in the world, but it's because of the Chargers' ownership situation uh, that mm-hmm. makes me skeptical of them uh, being able to uh, constantly um, uh, run the table with him. Yeah, absolutely, and that's that's exactly where I'm at with the Chargers. Um, I was living in San Diego when they left San Diego, and the demands they made of the city just screamed that they were so out of touch with what was going on in the city of San Diego. They wanted a stadium downtown, but if you've ever been to San Diego, where? Unless they were going to split Petco Park with the Padres, which obviously you can't do anymore in these days. You can't split a baseball at a football stadium anymore. Uh, there, there, was, there was nowhere to put it. They, they, wanted, they wanted so many things, and they weren't willing to to do it. And so they just tucked tail and they ran to L.A. And it's just the ownership for me. Bad owners will forever overshadow good players. And I think that's where we're at with the Chargers right now. Indeed. Uh, the Detroit Lions, uh, this uh, was a very puzzling hire in Dan Campbell. Yes, I understand he has a great reputation. Uh, Sean Payton advocated for him. He spent the last uh, several years as the assistant head coach, tight ends guy in New Orleans. But uh, he was interim head coach uh, of the Miami Dolphins in uh, 2015, and he didn't necessarily uh, inspire anything. And this is the problem with the Lions. They always go with unproven commodities at head coach, and they almost always fail in doing so. And that's why I give this a uh, barely passable grade at C-. minus. Oh, this is an F for me. They fired Matt Patricia to hire Matt Patricia. Oh. That's exactly what they did. I, I don't like this hire at all. His opening press conference uh, where he, he he's talking about biting kneecaps and then getting punched in the stomach and then getting up and biting the eye. Like, what, what are you doing, man? That, that, that stuff works in like JV football when you're working with like 12 or like, you know, 14, 15-year-olds, whatever it is. It doesn't work in the NFL. These are grown men. They don't, they don't respond to that. It's not how it's not how people motivate themselves anymore. He, he's he he dug into a bag of cliches from every 1980s football movie and he pulled them all out. Uh, and Matt Mayoko and Matt Barrows are two of the uh, biggest guys that cover the 49ers. And Matt Mayoko said that they left a 49ers head coaching introductory 
you know, introductory uh, press conference a couple of years ago. They didn't name drop who it was, but if you're a 49ers fan, you'll know who I'm talking about. And they said, well, we'll be back here in a year. And he said they got the exact same vibe in Detroit and what they saw from Campbell. So I, this is an F. This is a terrible hire. Uh, again, I was following the Robert Sala saga very, very closely. He interviewed in Detroit, and he left there without anything. Detroit was like his number one option. He's from Michigan. He coasted Central Michigan. He he wanted to go back home and 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 revitalize that franchise. And they didn't even want him. They didn't offer him because they didn't like what he had to say. So Detroit was looking for a yes man. They got one. They got. I don't. I don't understand this at all. If I'm Matt Stafford, I'm walking in. I'm. Rec- a trade right now and I'm, I'm using whatever credit I've earned with that franchise and I'm getting out as fast as possible because that is that, that team is going nowhere and very quickly oh very very good argument there and now the Philadelphia Eagles they got rid of uh, Doug Peterson and they replaced it with Nick Sirianni now to be fair I like this hire better than hiring Josh McDaniels because uh if you want to save Carson Wentz, the only way is through somebody who knows Frank Reich very well. And Nick Sirianni was Frank Reich's offensive coordinator in Indianapolis these past several seasons. Uh, but given the fact that he didn't call plays, I'm going to give this a C- minus for now. I'm going to give it a C. I'm going to see if he can save Carson Wentz. But I guarantee you he got this job by walking into Howie Roseman's office and said, I want Carson Wentz. I want to work with him. I think I can fix him. I think that's how we got, that's how we got this job. I, I can't be convinced otherwise that 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 contract is should be for a lemon law and what they paid Carson Wentz and what he's been able to do so far. His confidence was shot. He couldn't throw the ball downfield. He, he had happy feet in the pocket. I really think that he walked in and said, I can save Carson Wentz. And they gave him the job based on that. So I think I think this hire is tied to Wentz. If Wentz succeeds, this will be a successful head coaching hire. If Wentz doesn't, then this is going to go way south. And I, that's why I'm that's why I'm sticking straight in the middle of the road with a C for this one because it all depends. Can he resurrect Carson Wentz's career? Yeah, don't you think his connection to Frank Reich played a role in the hiring as well? Because I think that the, many in the Eagles organization are starting to think, yeah, since Frank Reich left the building, our office has gone down the tubes, and uh, it's kind of like Ky- after Kyle Shanahan leaving the Falcons, same thing happened there. That's exactly it. That's a, that's one hundred and ten percent it. You, you, you look at Dan Quinn after Shanahan leaves and everything imploded like a dying star. You look at Doug Peterson after Frank Reich leaves, same sort of thing happened. It, it was very clearly the offensive coordinators that were, that were the driving force behind the success of those two teams. And I 100% believe his tie to Frank Reich and his ability to believe in Carson Wentz are the reason he got that job. Yeah, and the only head coaching vacancy still left open is the Houston Texans, and no hiring is imminent, as was just reported today, uh, given the fact that they interviewed uh, former Lions head coach Jim Caldwell and former NFL quarterback Josh McCown for that job. So it looks like they're still casting a wide net, but we're going to talk about that vacancy a little later on in the program. And now let's talk about the GM hires and give out grades for that, starting with the Denver Broncos. And, man... Given the fact that the Broncos are in the same division with Patrick Mahomes and Justin Herbert, this was the best thing they could have done to start the offseason. With John Elway saying, you know what, I can't do this anymore. I can't make all the decisions. I'm going to uh, um, resign the GM post and uh, and assume a consult role like Ozzie Newsom has in Baltimore right now and bring in a real GM. And they hired one of the most sought-after GM candidates in recent years in Minnesota Vikings assistant GM George Payton. And... Uh, 
yes, there's no guarantee whether George Payton will be successful or not, but given his reputation, his track record, especially from building a roster from inside out, as he did in Minnesota, by having an integral voice in all those drafts, uh, this couldn't have gone better for the Denver Broncos, especially given the fact uh, that their ownership situation currently remains in flux. They gave him the deal to come, and it's his show now. This is, for me, at least an A-. minus. Yeah, I, I like this hire a lot. I'm going to give it a B plus. Um, I like what Denver's doing this offseason. Putting John Elway out to pasture is, is the way I put it. <laughs> you know, he's, he's, he got a promotion, but he's not really going to be as active as before. So it's a promotion, but, you know, it's also kind of like we're taking away your toys. So I, I like that move. Uh, I, I very much enjoy that they're giving Fangio another shot next year. I think that the, so many things went wrong for the Denver Broncos this year in a tough division. Uh, you know, with, with a game where they had to play with a practice squad wide receivers, their quarterback, with, with all sorts of things going on. I think Fangio deserves a real offseason, a real year to get this done. Pairing him with a real GM is very, very smart. I, I very much enjoy this move. Uh, Minnesota has had one of the better rosters across the league for, for years now, and it's it's no secret that Peyton is a big part of that. So I, I like it. B+. Plus. Let's let's see what Denver can do because they're going to they're gonna need to really – revamp this roster and, and stock back up if they want to compete in AFC West. Yeah, absolutely. That's why I gave it an A minus B plus. So very similar to your grade there. And the Houston Texans, uh, they hired the guy they wanted to hire a year ago in uh, Patriots uh, executive Nick Casario. And uh, based on how Deshaun Watson felt about this hiring, I think I have to give it an F. One hundred percent. I'm glad you said that because that's exactly what I was going to say. Whatever the Houston Texans are doing this offseason, it's an F. That's it. If you upset Deshaun Watson, who was on a scale of one to ten at a two when you traded away DeAndre Hopkins for a ham sandwich, he was at a two anger wise. Now he's at a ten. Whatever you're doing this offseason is not working. You're chasing out one of the top four or five quarterbacks in the NFL. You're probably going to have to trade him because he doesn't want to play there anymore. He doesn't want anything to do with that franchise anymore. He asked them to interview specific coaches, and they just flat out told him no. They told him, we're going to have you be a part of the hiring process, and he wasn't. This is an F. I don't care who. They could have brought in anybody. They could have brought in anybody, and if you upset a franchise quarterback like they have, it's an F. I don't care. Yes, and the Atlanta Falcons, meanwhile, made a pretty impressive GM hire by bringing over Saints – Executive Vice President and Pro Personnel Director Terry Fontenot to be their new GM, where he will team up with Arthur Smith to revamp that roster. This is a solid B hiring for me, uh, given the fact that, uh, yes, uh, he helped build a good roster uh, in New Orleans, but there was another Saints executive uh, named Ryan Pace who got a job, and uh, he didn't turn out that well. So uh, I'm going to be very cautious with this one. Yeah, I'm giving it a C plus. I like the idea of pairing a GM and a head coach together. I really do, if, especially if they were brought in and, and they talked to each other before they made the hire. I'm not sure if that's what happened in Atlanta or not. But if that's what they're doing, that's the smart way to do it. Is get two guys that are on the same page, that view the roster the same way, and they can have civil disagreements. So not, you know, they're not lockstep in everything because you don't ever want that. But you want you want enough of an idea, vision for what they want the team to be. I'm going to give it a C plus just because I don't think the Saints have necessarily been all that good at roster building over the years. They've had some some good players come in. They get a lot of uh, you know they, they they kind of went the Patriots way toward the end of Tom Brady's career where they get a bunch of veterans to come in and play key roles for them as they're on the backside of their career. And 
you know, this, this tie to Taysom Hill, whether it's Sean Payton, whether it's in the front office, I don't know where it is, but I, I can't get over the fact that the Saints were so, so tied to him. And yeah, no, I, it's fine. It's it, C plus for me. It, I hope he, I hope he works out because I would like to see the Atlanta Falcons kind of get back to prominence and back to being good again, because they're exciting to watch, but it's just a C plus for me. And the Detroit Lions uh, made a pretty interesting hire by hiring uh, former Rams college scouting director Brad Holmes as their new GM. And like uh, Campbell, Holmes is definitely unproven. I'm going to have to give it a C- minus as well. Yeah, this is a D for me. I mean, I, I really don't like this pairing. I said I like when they pair a GM with a head coach, but I don't like what they're doing in Detroit. Uh, they, they should have come away with Robert Sala and Louis Riddick is who they really should have come away with as their head coach and GM combo. And now they're kind of just scraping the bottom of the barrel for whoever wants to come to Detroit. Because this is it's just this isn't expi- this isn't inspiring to me. The Rams are another team that has not particularly drafted all that well over the years. And they, they've kind of relied on Sean McVay to kind of get the most out of some not so great talent. And then on the defensive side of the ball they let Aaron Donald be a wrecking ball and Brandon Staley come up with the incredible scheme to get the most out of those guys. So I, I don't, I don't really like this hiring either. So it's, 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 it's in the D range for me. Yeah. The Carolina Panthers uh, hired former Seahawks executive Scott Fitterer to be their uh, new GM. But that said, I think Matt rule is running the show and I think he better answered him because if Fitterer has more control than Matt rule has over this roster, I would give this one a D minus because uh, the Seahawks drafting uh, ever since uh, their magical run between uh, 2010 through 2012 in the draft has been very uh, unimpressive. Yeah, I don't understand. I don't understand this. These teams that win because of certain players, the Hawks being they win because of Russell Wilson. Let's not sugarcoat this. Without Russell Wilson, that is a four-win football team. They win because of Russell Wilson. People, the NFL is full of dinosaurs that gravitate towards, oh, well, they made the playoffs every year. They must be good in the front office. And they're not necessarily good in the front office. They just have really good players that make really big plays in the right time. And, and I, I, yeah, I don't get it. Matt Rule better be in charge. I'm going to give it a C just because I really think that Matt Rule is in charge. And no matter what is said, Matt Rule's going to have the final say, uh, which I think is smart. I think Matt Rule's a good coach. I think he did a really good job with a – uh, a roster devoid of talent in Carolina this year. Yeah, it's a C. It's a C. Just NFL, please stop hiring guys from teams that, that don't draft well and don't make good free agent signings. Just They're just successful every year because they have a really good quarterback. Please stop doing that. It drives me nuts. Uh, the Jacksonville Jaguars, as expected, went in-house and promoted Trent Baalke from assistant GM to uh, interim GM to full-time GM, and uh, no offense to his uh, history with the 49ers, I'm going to have to give this one an F because this is one of those retread hires that I do not like. I'm giving it a C plus. I'm giving it a C plus, and only because Trent Baalke can build a roster. Yeah, he can. Trent Baalke, Trent Baalke needs someone over the top of him to tell him no, and I think Urban Meyer can be that guy. I really do. I think Urban Meyer is going to have most of the control over this roster. But Trent Baalke, when it comes to scouting offensive linemen, defensive linemen, linebackers, he's really, really good at it. He knows how to build in the trenches. 
And Jacksonville needs a little bit of that on both sides of the ball. So I like that. I like that aspect of it. Just don't let him draft a first-round wide receiver. Don't let him draft wide receivers at all. Urban Meyer, you take all of the wide receiver stuff and you draft those guys. Because Trent Baalke is – I was talking about dinosaurs. Trent Baalke's kind of one of those. He's kind of a dinosaur, and he, he doesn't he doesn't know how to scout certain positions. And in, in San Francisco, he had way too much power and way too much sway, even when Harbaugh was there. And I, I really don't like – it's a C-plus just because I think Urban Meyer's going to have most of the control and bulky when kept in his lane is very good. But you're right. This is a retread hire, and it's just – it's time to give guys – it's time to give new blood some opportunity to succeed in this league. And if they don't, they had their shot, then that's fine. But I, I don't like – it's it's just just a C-plus. And God, Trent Baalke. Oh, man. Good luck, Jacksonville. Yeah. <laughs> And last but not least, uh, the Washington football team uh, hired Martin Mayhew as their new GM. And some people scream, oh, this is another retread again, given the fact that he was the Lions GM for the early part of the 2010s. Uh, He earned another chance because he joined the 49ers in a uh, lower role uh, in recent years and was an instrumental force in building up the, that roster to the Super Bowl roster that it was with no franchise quarterback on it. He deserved another shot. But nonetheless, I am deeply disturbed that they also hired Marty Herney to, to have a role. And I'm not sure whether Herney's going to have more power or Mayhew more power, but both are going to answer to Ron Rivera. And uh, given the fact that Rivera has worked with Herney more than Mayhew, I I'm um, not sure he'll trust Mayhew over uh, Marty Herney. So I'm going to give this a B- minus just for that reason. But, but if, if it wasn't for Marty Herney uh, joining the organization, this would have been an A for me. Yeah, this is going to balance out for me. This is going to balance out to a C because I'm the same way. I think it would have been an A if they just hired Mayhew. Um, I, I love the work he'd been doing in San Francisco. Him and Adam Peters, they do not get the credit they deserve. John Lynch is 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 fine as a GM, but he's very much a figurehead in my eyes. He, he's great yes. in front of the cam- he's great in front of the camera. He loves to you know he loves to to kiss hands and shake babies, and he loves to get out there and, and in front of a microphone and do his thing. But I don't think I don't I'm not sure how much sway he has in actual decision making when it comes to the draft. The 49ers have drafted very very well since Kyle Shanahan and Adam Peters and Martin Mayhew have all kind of gotten together. They've had some hiccups. Obviously, Solomon Thomas or Foster was a big hiccup, but that has John Lynch fingerprints all over it. And after they got away from that, they started to make some good picks. And I, it would be an A for me for Washington because I think Washington is a quarterback away from being a very legitimate contender in the NFC. They are a young team with a ton of talent all over the place. They just need a legitimate quarterback. And if they can get that, they'll be really good. The Herney hiring, it, it drives me nuts. What did Carolina do? What it's, it's another one of those teams. What did they do to earn that kind of just respect from other teams to hire? And I, I understand it's Ron Rivera going to get his buddy. And I, love, I love Ron Rivera. I love Ron Rivera a ton. I love that guy. But he better start listening to Mayhew over Herney. So this, this falls straight in the middle for a C for me. And now it's time to play everybody's favorite game, Truth or Exaggeration. And Matt, you know how this works. I am going to read a statement, and you respond whether it's the truth or an exaggeration and give your reasoning why. And we start with the Texans. If the Texans do not hire Eric Bieniemy as their new head coach, and it's been reported by uh, Be- your colleague Benjamin Albright of Pro Football Network that the players want Bieniemy, but the ownership might want Bill's defensive coordinator, Leslie Frazier, uh, to be the new head man in Houston. But if they don't hire Eric Bieniemy, it will officially be the point of no return 
for Deshaun Watson and his relationship with the Texans. Truth or exaggeration? It, it's a truth. It's an absolute truth. It's an abs- I think he's done now. I don't think it matters who they hire at this point. Honestly, I really don't think it matters who they hire. Eric Bieniemy. if I was him, I would tell the Texans to pack sand. I wouldn't even take the interview at this point because it's so clear that he, they didn't want to even bring him in that I wouldn't even give them the, the chance to save their relationship with Deshaun Watson. Because if I'm Eric Bieniemy, I know that next year there's going to be some openings and he's going to get his shot. He better get his shot because I'm, I'm sick and tired of seeing this guy not get his opportunity to helm a team because I think he's incredible. I think he's so smart and so talented as an offensive coordinator, and I think he absolutely 100% deserves top shot. So I, I, it, I, I think it's fractured regardless. I think it's fractured regardless. So absolute truth for me. And staying on the Deshaun Watson train for a moment, long term, the New York Jets may be a better trade destination for Deshaun Watson than the Miami Dolphins, and he should highly consider going there, as Richard Sherman himself suggested. Truth or exaggeration? Ooh, I'm going to say just a little bit of exaggeration. Just a little bit. Just a little bit. I actually don't I, I don't think Miami or the Jets or either one of them are a good place for Deshaun Watson to go, to be honest. Miami, he would be going back to what he had in Houston, which is a team that is, is good, well, not good defensively, but on the offensive side of the ball, he would have like the same thing. Like, who's he throwing the ball to? The weapons are, are sparse in, in Miami. They don't have an offensive coordinator right now. And then you look on the opposite side, the Jets – Aside from Becton, their offensive line isn't very good. And I, I, I just think, yeah, man, I don't know. I'm so torn on this one. I think the Jets are probably a better landing spot, but the Jets should give Darnold a shot and use these picks, and they should trade out of two, take the haul they're going to get for that, and then build this roster up. And then if, if Sam Darnold doesn't work out, go from there in 2022. I don't think either one are, are good destinations for Deshaun Watson because I don't think either one – presents him with what he really wants, which is he doesn't want to have – I don't think he wants to have to completely carry a team. You know, I just think in Houston he was the guy. I think he wants to be the guy, but I don't think he has – I don't think he wants to be the only guy. And I think that's what he is in Houston. And I don't know. So it's somewhere in between truth and exaggeration. It's it's, it's toe in a line right there. Uh. Yeah, both uh, rosters uh, definitely uh, need a lot of work, and Deshaun Watson might have a lot more suitors than those uh, two teams. And we move to the Detroit Lions. If the Lions decide to part ways with Matthew Stafford, and that may be a possibility, uh, the Colts and 49ers will be the top two teams in contention for his services. 100%. One absolute truth. The Colts just had Phillip Rivers retire. And, and Philip Rivers was was good for them this year. He obviously got them to the playoffs. He got them to a very good record. They just ran into a buzzsaw in Buffalo. They had some bad breaks in that playoff game. Uh, you know, they missed field goals. They had missed opportunities. They had they were stuffed on the goal line. All sorts of stuff. It, it, Matthew Stafford deserves, like I said earlier, he deserves to play for a winner. He's he's earned enough credit with that franchise that he should be able to say when he wants out. And if he wants out, the Colts and the 49ers should be calling every single phone in Detroit, pay phones, cell phones, just just have every phone ringing in Detroit because Matt Stafford would immediately elevate both of those teams to Super Bowl contenders right away. Uh, yes, and it's going to be very intriguing to see if that happens and just how much effort those two teams will put into uh, chasing uh, Matthew Stafford. And we go back to my Denver Broncos. 
The Broncos should release Von Miller regardless of what the criminal investigation into his conduct reveals. Truth or exaggeration? I think it's a truth at this point. Um, Von Miller, is, is he's had a very good career in Denver. Uh, he's, he's at that point age-wise where he's not going to be the top guy anymore. If you're Vic Fangio and you're trying to create a culture and, and you're trying to turn this, this roster around, I think now is when you can make a statement and just say, hey, we're not going to deal with this anymore. He's got to go. And you can walk into the locker room with your head held high knowing that you morally did the right thing, even if it's a little premature, even if some of the players might not agree. I think it's just one of those moves that you should make at this point where he's, he's, he's not a top-end talent anymore. So you really just kind of kind of got to cut bait and move forward as a roster. Yes, and there aren't supposed to be sacred cows at the NFL. Yes, Von Miller is likely going to be a Pro Football Hall of Famer. Yes, he is going to be a Denver Broncos Ring of Famer. He was the Super Bowl 50 MVP. He almost single-handedly won the Denver Broncos that Super Bowl, and Broncos fans should forever be grateful to him. But uh, there are no sacred cows in the NFL, and he's no longer at the top of his game. Now is the time to say goodbye. The money is just too much. Absolutely, absolutely. Money, distraction, all sorts of stuff. You don't know what the you don't know what the salary cap is going to look like just yet. You don't know what the draft is going to look like because you know the the combine has obviously been postponed. It's just going to be pro days. The scouting is going to be a little weird because the the wonky college football schedule. There's there's a lot of holes to fill, and I don't think you can be spending a ton of money on a guy that could potentially not end up playing for your team next year, depending on what comes down from from the Justice Department. Uh, it's actually the uh, Parker. Colorado Police, City Police Department. It's not the Justice Department oh, that is uh, yeah. investigating him, but uh, uh, regardless of uh, what this investigation uh, turns up, whether he's guilty or innocent, I think you got to part ways with him as well. The Chicago Bears made an egregious mistake by retaining both Matt Nagy and Ryan Pace for the 2021 season. Truth or exaggeration? Truth. Does, does that really need to be explained? <laughs> I mean, they backed their way into the playoffs at 8-8. Eight and eight. They needed a 49ers win on the road in week 16 against the Arizona Cardinals to get in that position. They looked miserable against the Saints. That roster is not good. They're probably losing Allen Robinson this offseason. They needed a complete change up there, and I don't understand how you can take one look at the Green Bay Packers. You can take one look at the Minnesota Vikings, and you can say, you know what? We're good. We're going to ride this one out. It makes It makes no sense to me. They needed a change. There were so many... So many good head coaching opportunities to hire to, to really change what you had going on in Chicago. Uh, we talked about Biennemi and Dable not, not having jobs right now. How could you not fire your guys and go get one of them? How could you not do that? If they're going to hold on to, to Trubisky for another year, I, Chicago deserves whatever whatever is coming their way. If they, if they keep Trubisky, Nagy, and Pace, I don't understand that move at all. Yes, and they're going to be competing with the Lions as potential bottom feeders uh, in the NFC North next season. I strongly believe that. And last but not least, uh, Drew Brees, uh, congratulations on an amazing career. You're going to be missed, but uh, it was definitely time as uh, you yourself knew it. Um, we love what you did for the game of football and the city of New Orleans, but uh, uh, thank you for all that you did and uh, all the best of retirement, Drew. But uh, given that, Jameis Winston will be the week one starter for the Saints in 2021. Truth or exaggeration? I'm going to say it's an exaggeration because I think they're going to roll with Taysom Hill. Uh, dumb. I, I, I think so, too. I think so, too. But Sean Payton is so tied to this guy. He, he is, thinks he yes. can be the next franchise quarterback. I think that's what they're going to roll with. 
But now here's not an exaggeration. James Winston would have beat the Bucks. Drew Brees was so bad. So bad in that playoff game. How could you not? I understand it's his last game. He wants to go out on top. But, but by leaving him in that game to throw duck after duck after duck and lollipops for interceptions over and over again, you let him go out probably in the worst game he's ever played. I don't understand it. I don't like it. Jameis Winston should have been in that game after the first interception. After you saw them, they ran the same, they ran the same damn play that Chicago ran against them. Trick play. Except they scored on it with Jameis Winston throwing the ball. And then they said, all right, Jameis, go ahead and grab a clipboard, man. We don't need you the rest of the game. It made no sense to me. No sense whatsoever. Jameis Winston would have won that game because the Bucs weren't all that impressive. The Saints defense played very, very well. and Very, uh, very well that game. And also, uh, Drew Brees, he was so hurt. It wasn't just the ribs this year. I think he had a similar foot injury as Peyton Manning had the final year of his career. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong. It, I think he did, and it looked – he looked hurt. He looked battered. It just – it was like one of those sports movies, man, where you just see like the old weathered veteran, except for this isn't a sports movie, so he didn't have a miracle fourth quarter comeback. He just continued to get the hell beat out of him all game. And it was just, it, it was kind of sad to watch. I'm not a big Drew Brees fan, so it wasn't super sad on my end. But, you know, it's it's not the way you want to see a Hall of Famer go out. And I, I lay that all at the feet of Sean Payton's hubris. So that's that's really what it was. And now it's time to preview the two conference championship games, starting with the NFC Championship. Tom Brady and the Bucks traveling to Lambeau Field to take on Aaron Rodgers, hands down the 2020 NFL MVP and his Green Bay Packers. And it was reported today that the Bucks will get underrated nose tackle Vita Bea back for this consequential game. And that is a huge deal, both literally and figuratively, especially going up against the other Aaron, Aaron Jones, and that lethal Green Bay rushing attack. Could Vita Vea's presence be the decisive difference in this game? I don't think so. I know what we saw earlier on in the season where, where the Bucks just kind of boat raced the Packers. Uh, it's a very different Packers team now. Uh, I, I think I really think the Packers are going to come out and they're going to wall up the Bucs. Um, Tom Brady has not impressed me down the stretch. He didn't look good against Washington. He just looked okay against the Saints. Uh, I really think that the Packers are going to come out and they're going to play at the top of their game because – they are coming into their second consecutive NFC Championship game. And last year, they were absolutely embarrassed by the San Francisco 49ers. They want redemption. Aaron Rodgers wants his shot to get back at the top after everybody said all – they talked all that trash all offseason, right? They talked about how they didn't get him any wide receivers. They talked about how he, he's getting to that point in his career where he can't do it anymore. And they drafted Jordan Love in the first round. This is Aaron Rodgers just giving the middle finger to the entirety of the NFL. And I really think that the Packers are going to win this one. I don't care who the Bucs have back. And uh, moving back to the Bucs, if there are to have any chance, uh, it might have taken a bit of a hit as well this morning as Bruce Arian said that Antonio Brown will not play in this game due to a knee injury. How big of a deal do you think Antonio Brown's absence is for the Bucs offense? I think it's bigger than a lot of people want to give it credit for because when you have Antonio Brown and Mike Evans and Chris Godwin on the field and Rob Gronkowski and Cameron Brait and Ronald Jones and you know obviously you can't have them all on the field at the same time but there's and Leonard Fournette there's just so many different things you have to defend and when you can't trot out three really really good wide receivers it changes the dynamic and now they're gonna have to rely on Scotty Miller 
as their third option and is wide receiver. And he's not bad. He's not bad at all. And he's, he's be tailor made to play with Tom Brady, right? But Antonio Brown is just a different level of player than Scotty Miller is. And I think it's going to be a big, a big hit to them because now you can kind of double both, both Evans and Godwin, or at least one of them on every play and, and, and really force the bucks to put the ball where you want them to put it. Yes. And, uh, Let's talk about some X and O's game-deciding matchups that will d- decide this. One matchup I'm looking at is Aaron Jones, uh, not against Vita Vea, against the linebacker duo for the Bucks and Levante David and Devin White, who had an excellent game against uh, the uh, New Orleans Saints. Granted, it was against uh, Zombie Drew Brees, but uh, it was still an excellent game that you got to give a lot of credit to Devin White for having. But uh, those guys are going to have to have the games of their careers, Levante David and Devin White in particular, because a big reason why Aaron Rodgers has been allowed to play at the highest level he's had in years this year is because he has the best running game he's ever had in Green Bay with Aaron Jones and that scheme with Matt LaFleur. So uh, the Bucks are going to need those two guys to step up more than ever. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, that's, that's a huge matchup that I'm looking forward to. Um, Aaron Jones playing for money. He's a free agent this offseason. He's going to get paid. I don't think it's going to be in Green Bay. So really, that's that's such a huge matchup that I'm looking forward to watching. Because Aaron Jones has been electric all year. He's been so good all year. And, but but Devin White and Levante David are the best interior linebacking duo in the NFL. That's, that's it. They are the best two guys playing on the same team in the NFL when it comes to the linebacker position. Can they shut him down? Can they keep him contained coming out of the backfield in the passing game? Can they track him down and not let him get to the outside? If they can, the Packers might be in a little bit of trouble because they rely so heavily on Aaron Jones to just take the pressure off everything else. Uh, The matchup I'm most excited for. Devontae Adams has been the best wide receiver in football this year. He sure has. I don't think that's even arguable. I, I don't think I don't think there's any competition this year. You know, every year there's well Odell Beckham or Mike Thomas or DeAndre Hopkins or whoever. This year it was very very clear that De- that Devontae Adams was the best, the best wide receiver in football this year. I want to see what the Bucks do with Carlton Davis, Jamel Dean, Sean Murphy Bunting, what they really try and do to slow him down because no one has been able to figure it out this year, and Aaron Rodgers just almost automatically just chucks it up to him. Hey, Devontae Adams is down there somewhere. He'll come down with it. And, you know, Rogers is obviously accurate enough to put it where, where Adams can get to it. So that's the matchup I'm most intrigued by. How do they contain Devontae Adams? And a lot of it is going to come from the pressure up front. They're going to need Indomitian Sue. They're going to need JPP. They're going to need Jack Barrett to really get in after Aaron Rodgers so that those long developing routes that Adams loves to run can't get there. But once the ball's in the air, how do they handle Devontae Adams from the from the Buccaneers secondary. Oh, yes, but this is another underrated matchup, I think, uh, that we haven't talked about yet. And I say underrated because just because we haven't talked about it yet. Tristan Wirfs has been amazing his rookie season for the Bucs. He's already a top 10 right tackle league, if not a top 7 or a top 5 right tackle right now, given how he's played this season. But he has to go against Zadarius Smith, who, uh, after being snubbed for the Pro Bowl last year, he came back this year and had an even better season. Uh, Tristan Wirfs against Darius Smith, uh, if uh, Tom Brady is going to want to have a field day against uh, the Packers and keep up with Aaron Rodgers, he's going to have need Tristan Wirfs to, to dominate that matchup. He absolutely is. He absolutely is, because Darius Smith has been on another another level this year. 
and and good for him because like you said he got he got snubbed last year so he's really been playing at a level that is is incredible to watch and he's such a terror off the edge but i'm also very interested to see how the interior of the the bucks offensive line handles guys like kenny clark and, oh yeah and the are going to set up the middle with christian kirksey and and preston smith and all these stunts are going to run because tom brady hates pressure up the middle pressure up the middle is how you beat tom brady you can get to him off the edge that's fine we've seen it happen it's fine but pressure up the middle especially what we saw last year in the playoffs you know i was on to do the playoff preview between the patriots and the titans last year the Titans just set pressure up the middle all day against Tom Brady, and they held him to like 190 yards. Something something minuscule, something for his last playoff game in New England, which was unthinkable at that point when everybody was coming into that game. How do they handle the pressure up the middle? Because the Bucks' interior offensive line is good. Is good, but the, but the Packers know how to bring pressure, and I, I really think that that's going to be the story of the game. Can they get to Tom Brady up the middle? If they can... It's 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 lights out for the Bucks. Oh, very good point, especially considering the fact that the Bucks have one of the best interior offensive line duos in the NFL with Ryan Jensen at center and Ali Marpet at right guard. And those two going against Kenny Clark is going to be super tricky, especially considering that Kenny Clark is uh, one of the most underrated interior defensive linemen in the game. Yeah, you could talk about Aaron Donald and DeForest Buckner all you want, but Kenny Clark isn't that far behind them. He's just about a one notch below, in my opinion. Absolutely agree. Absolutely agree. So really, Ali Marpet and Ryan Jensen are going to have their hands full up front. Yes, and uh, you alluded to who you think is going to win this game a couple minutes ago, but what is your overall prediction for the NFC Championship? I really think the Packers are going to win. I think I think there's there's a mystique about Lambeau. Um, this is this is a great rivalry renewed because the the Bucks and Packers used to play in the NFC Central together back Correct. before they did the realignment. Yeah. So this is this is a, this is a rivalry that had been. A long time. It was Warren Sapp and Brett Favre, and and it was so much fun to watch because these games were always so intense. Uh, I'm taking the Packers in this one. I'm going to take them by ten. I've got them winning 31-21. I, I just really think that the Packers' defense gets it done, and I think Aaron Rodgers is just like I said, a giant middle finger to the whole league. He has a lot to prove this year. For the record, I have the Green Bay Packers winning this game in a playoff pool, and it's very hard to underestimate Aaron Rodgers. But there's somebody else in this game who wants to give a big F you to the NFL as well. And he's been wanting to do that his entire career. His name is Thomas Edward Patrick Brady Jr. <laughs> and I just think that he just wants one more Super Bowl to prove that Bill Belichick, you needed me all along. It wasn't you and your genius ways. No matter how brilliant you were, you always needed me, and I'm going to prove why you always needed me. I am going to pick the Bucks in this setting, 26 to 23. How? Stay tuned for more predictions. And now let's talk about the AFC Championship game where Josh Allen, oh, Josh Allen, I am so effing proud of you, Josh Allen. And we're going to talk more about why in just a bit. Uh, and his Buffalo Bills traveling to Kansas City to take on Patrick Mahomes and the Chiefs. And the biggest news in the NFL this week and about this game just uh, occurred a couple hours ago. Because as expected, Patrick Mahomes uh, mentioned himself that he has cleared the concussion protocol. But we can't forget the fact that he also suffered a toe injury in last week's hard-fought divisional playoff contest against the Cleveland Browns. How much do you think will the toe injury hinder his improvisational abilities in the pocket, which are a trademark of his game? I think they're going to hinder a little bit 
Just a little bit. Uh, Patrick Mahomes is a really tough guy. Super tough guy. I think he also realizes that after this game, he gets two weeks. He gets two weeks to prepare for the Super Bowl. So he doesn't have to, to rush back and be ready. It's going to limit him a little bit, but 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 Buffalo's defense is not stellar. They are good, but they are not great. And I, I think that he can make enough guys miss in the backfield that he's going to have time to get Travis Kelsey. He's going to have time to get Tyree Kill open because it's it, it's just impossible to cover those guys for five, six, seven, eight seconds, whatever it is. Once Mahomes starts starts dancing in the backfield, um, but I don't think we're going to see any necessarily completely wow, wow, wow plays. From Mahomes, so I think it's going to limit him away from those, but I don't think it's going to cut down to the point where he can't still improvise and still make incredible plays. I just don't think there's going to be any like this is the greatest play we've ever seen from a quarterback kind of stuff. You know what I mean? Like we kind of expect to see from from Patrick Mahomes week in and week out. I don't think we're going to see anything on that level, but I still think we're going to see some really really good plays from him uh, as as an improviser. Oh, definitely. That is a good point. Give it his uh, toughness. But speaking of that Bills defense that you mentioned, uh, in the uh, regular season match between these two clubs, uh, it was a relatively low-scoring game. Their defense sold out to stop the pass in their previous matchup, and they dared the Chiefs to run. And Clyde Edwards-Alaire, who will be back in, for this game, FYI, uh, had a field day that game. Do you see Buffalo's defense doing something similar this Sunday? I think they do. I think they do in... And it's because I, I think they're going to dare the Chiefs to run the ball because they've become a, a significantly better team at defending the run over the course of the year. When it, early on, Matt Milano was out. You know, they had guys up front that weren't they weren't playing well and weren't healthy. They really started to gel on defense. Like I said, they're good. They're not great, but they're good. And, and I think that it, it provides enough that if you really, really want to shut down Patrick Mahomes and dare them to run the ball. You can do it. The thing that scares me the most about the Chiefs, though, is Andy Reid is the master of the screen game. And as soon as you try and sit back and, and or blitz or do whatever you want to do to try and change things up, he's going to throw a screen at you. And if you get if you get Clyde Edwards-Hilaire out front with three guys in front of him, good luck stopping him because he can he can move and he's shifty and he's very smart behind his blockers. So I think they try and do something similar with 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 limiting the pass game from Mahomes, but you can never really fully contain it, right? You can just kind of hope to slow it down a little bit, but I still think that the Chiefs are going to find a way to move the ball. Yeah, I think so too. And speaking of uh, Clyde Edwards-Alaire in that screen game, that takes me to one of my game-deciding matchups for this game, and that is Clyde Edwards-Alaire in the screen game against uh, the freakishly athletic Tremaine Edmonds at linebacker. Like, I, I see the Bills uh, assigning Edmonds to cover Clyde Edwards-Alaire in that screen game. Yeah, and that would be very, very smart. Um, um, Edmonds has done a great job in the playoffs so far of just roaming the middle and being around the ball. Uh, it, it, can they specifically stick him on the layer? I don't know. I don't know. That's that's a tough ask, but but I, I wouldn't be surprised to see Leslie Frazier, Leslie <laughs> I can't talk <laughs> Leslie Frazier dial that up because uh, Edmonds is an extraordinary athlete. He's extremely smart, and for a kid they drafted when he, I think he was like 19 or 20 years old when they drafted him, um, he's really developed into a nice player for Buffalo. Oh, he absolutely has. Like getting him along with Josh Allen in that first round of 2018 has been mana from heaven for that entire team, man. It's uh, been a joy to watch. And uh, uh, when you also look at this Bills defense, uh, you got to think uh, Tradavius White, arguably the best corner in the game right now, 
mm-hmm. not named Jalen Ramsey, that is. Uh, it's very close between those two, in my opinion. Uh, I got to wonder if they're going to have him shadow Tyreek Hill. You, you have to, right? That, that's, that has to be the move where you put your best guy on their best guy and, and hope that he can contain him. But again, he's also going to need help over the top because he Tyreek Hill is fast. <laughs> I mean, that's that's like the, the that's that's not even a, that's not even a fair way to put it. He is lightning. They do can fly, and and, and I, I don't understand it. Once once a game, he just comes loose, and they forget to cover him over the top, and he gets a long touchdown. Uh, so really, the Buffalo has to try and limit those. But but keeping Trey White on him from the start is a really good place to start. Yeah, let's flip the script a bit. Going with uh, Josh Allen and that builds offense against the Kansas City Chiefs defense. Um, what matchups are you looking at in that department? I'm looking at Josh Allen, and I'm not looking against him. Uh, him against uh, the defensive line. I'm not looking at him against the linebackers. I'm looking at him against Tyron Matthew, the Honey Badger. The Honey Badger is the X factor for the Chiefs, and he is he is so smart. And he is everywhere. He is everywhere. Josh Allen has taken leaps and bounds this year in terms of his quarterback development, but he is still prone to maybe not really thinking to throw all the way through. Maybe not thinking it all the way through because he thinks he's he's bigger and stronger than everybody uh, than everybody, and he's pretty much right. But Matthew is super smart, and, and can Matthew create a turnover somewhere in a key critical situation against Josh Allen, where he just outsmarts him and he completely feigns him into doing exactly what he wants him to do? But on the other hand, if Josh Allen can avoid those throws, I think Kansas City is going to have a very very difficult time in slowing down this Buffalo offense. Oh, oh, absolutely. Uh, the Honey Badger definitely is the has been the best player for the Chiefs defense uh, this season by far, and uh, he will be um, in charge of like uh, reading Josh Allen, if not maybe in charge of spying Josh Allen on a lot of these uh, design run plays for Josh mm-hmm. Allen. And uh, this uh, game is uh, even tougher to pick uh, than oh. the uh, Bucks Packers, in my opinion. Um, I think this game is going to be um, very hard fought. I do expect Josh Allen to put up a fight. I am so proud of him. Everybody, almost everybody, including myself, thought he would be a failure at the NFL level given his uh, track record in college, especially given his complete percentage. But he has turned out to be the most unicorn of unicorns. He has totally uh, outworked everybody and has been able to harness his gifts and his work ethic to prove everybody wrong and i and i met him at the senior bowl in 2018 he struck me as a very uh humble kid who wanted to work hard and he was impossible not to root for he is so proven all of us wrong i'm so proud of him and i would really love to see him win but i just can't bet against Patrick mahomes even a uh, patch mahomes that's just 90 percent at full strength at home at arrowhead you just can't bet against Patrick mahomes 31 24 chiefs uh, before the playoffs started, before the playoffs started, I picked the Green Bay Packers to come out of the NFC, and I picked the Buffalo Bills to come out of the AFC because nobody circles the wagons, the wagons like, like the, the Buffalo, Buffalo Bills. Bills. No one circles. And my my old man is is from upstate New York. He is a huge Buffalo fan, so he listens to all the stuff I do. If I picked against them, he would just crush me. So I absolutely have to pick the Buffalo Bills here, but I'm picking them for a good reason. I really think Buffalo is the best team left in the playoffs, the most complete team left in the playoffs. Uh, Dable has, has done a fantastic job with Josh Allen. Leslie Frazier has done a great job with that defense. And Sean McDermott is, is, a, is, a, is an excellent head coach. I think at this point he's the coach of the year. He should be coach of the year for what he has done with this Buffalo Bills team. 
uh, Andy Reid and the Chiefs, I, they haven't really impressed me over the uh, down the stretch. Down the stretch, they didn't really impress me. It seemed like they kind of became bored. And they started playing against themselves. They almost lose to the Falcons. They rest in, in week 17. They just don't look particularly impressive down the stretch. And Buffalo is like is the Hale Murray away from like a 12-game win streak at this point. Buffalo is hot. They are healthy. And I think Josh Allen is going to be the X factor because I don't think that the Kansas City defense can stop him. We, we, saw, we saw the Kansas City defense struggle last year in the Super Bowl against the 49ers. Uh, against the run game and, and so on and so forth. And it was very clear that if the 49ers had even a competent quarterback in that game, they win. I shouldn't say competent because Jimmy Grappa was at least competent. But if they had if they had a, a above-average quarterback in that game, they win. And I think Josh Allen is, is the above-average quarterback. The one thing Buffalo has to do, the one thing they have to do is realize they can win this game. Because when these two teams played earlier on in the year, Buffalo didn't think they could win. They were scared of the Chiefs. They have to realize that they are the best team left in the playoffs. And if they realize that, I think they are going to take down the Chiefs. I've got them winning. Uh, I think this is a shootout. I, I think these two teams are going to light it up. I've got it at 38-35 Buffalo. This Denver Broncos fan seriously hopes you're right because uh, I root for the <laughs> underdogs and uh, I would just love it for Josh Allen to end up in the Super Bowl after the amazing season he's had uh, this year. And now it's time for our bold predictions for this weekend's conference championship games. And I will go first. The Bucks and Packers will go to overtime, tied at 20. Aaron Rodgers will get the ball first. And he drives the Packers all the way down to the Tampa Bay 3, where they end up with fourth and goal. Yet they elect to kick a field goal and trust their defense. But then Thomas, Edward, Patrick, Brady Jr. responds with a 10-yard touchdown pass to Gronk. On third and goal from the Packers ten, and the Bucks win twenty six to twenty three. That's that's one hell of a prediction. It's very specific, and I like it. Um, I would, like I said, I would personally like to see the Packers win, um, but I like that prediction. It's good. My bold prediction: I said Buffalo is going to win thirty eight thirty five. Yeah. It's five touchdowns for Buffalo. Josh Allen is going to be responsible for all five of them. Three of them through the air two of them on the ground, and he is going to be responsible for 375 yards of offense. I think this is Josh Allen's official coming out party. I think this is when he just blows away the NFL world. I This is Josh Allen's – it's Josh Allen's world, and we're just living in it. That's the way I'm feeling after this Sunday. And speaking of Josh Allen, that takes us to our challenge flags, and I'm going to challenge Josh Allen. Josh Allen, like I said, I am so proud of you. You've proven all of us wrong, and I am rooting for you to continue to prove us wrong. But these past couple weeks, especially that Colts game, I've seen you get into some of your bad habits from 2019, like holding the ball too long. Please do not get into your bad habits. If there is trouble in one play, just don't hesitate to throw it away. Don't hesitate to live another down. Don't take any stupid sacks. Just don't get into your bad habits from 2019, and you'll have an excellent chance in having the kind of game that Matt thinks you'll have. I am going to throw my challenge flag at the officials. I think the officiating has been mediocre at best through the playoffs. These are the two most important games that have been played so far this year with only one more important game left. Please, please, please do not let bad officiating determine these games. These four teams are too good to come down to a, 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 a blown call or a, a play that should be reversed but isn't or whatever it is. 
please officiate these games effectively. That's all I ever really want, especially when my team isn't in it. I want to see I want to see competition. I want to see good games, but most of all, I want to see these these games called correctly. So please don't let ticky tack roughing the passers. Don't let ticky tack pass interference. Don't let clearly fumbled footballs be overturned. Whatever it is, just call the games correctly, please. That's my biggest challenge live for this weekend. That's a very good challenge flag, Matt Barr, and he is Matt Barr, ladies and gentlemen. Catch him on the Pro Football Network. And you can follow him on Twitter at Matt Barr underscore. And Matt, he will be headed toward the Reese's Senior Bowl next week in Mobile, Alabama. I unfortunately did not want to do it this year because of COVID. But Matt, I definitely hope to see you there this time next year uh, in person for a change. And Matt, thank you very much once again for joining us today. And that's it for today here on Sports Crunch. But Matt, we'll be back here in two weeks to preview Super Bowl 55, so stay tuned. But in the meantime, be sure to check out the episode archive as well as my blog at sportscrunch.com. And remember, that is Crunch with a K. And if you enjoy these podcast episodes, please consider leaving us an iTunes review and donating to our Patreon at patreon.com slash sportscrunch so we can improve our iTunes ranking and afford to produce even more shows with awesome guests like Matt. You can also follow me on Instagram and Twitter at dcrom 59 For Matt Barr, this is David Cromwell saying so long, and as usual, stay awesome, stay safe, wear a mask, wash your hands, stay sane, and remain eternally vigilant. Thank you very much, everybody. (laughs) 